0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Indie Dev Game Break Podcast, where we interview indie game creators and force them to take a break from their labors of love and talk about their inspiration, the technology, and the top games that influence them. I'm your host, Grant Carstensen from Stray Voltage Games. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Indie Dev Game Break podcast. Today's guest is Raul Martinez, known as Skull, on Twitter and online. His ominous-sounding studio, Skull Commander Labs, is based out of beautiful El Salvador. Raul is very active in the indie game community. He is a co-founder of the Indie World Order and runs the Side Scroller magazine, an online magazine featuring indie games and devs. As well, Raul is part of the IWO Con team, a virtual gaming conference hosted by the Indie World Order. Rawl himself has published several games in the one-bit retro pixel art style, including Mouse and Cheese, a precision single-screen platformer, and Dr. Brown, an arcade arena shooter. He is currently working on a new single-screen platformer dubbed "Gusanito Joe, which translates roughly to Little Worm Joe in English. Rawl, excited to have you here today. Welcome.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation and hope everything goes smoothly.
0: I'm sure it will. (laughs) Let's uh, let's dig in. And and before we go to the usual questions, I think with your background, it would be worth um, digging a bit into Indie World Order and your side-scroller magazine. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, in whatever order you like, Indie World Order and your magazine.
1: Okay. So first, I'm going to begin describing in brief what the Indie World Order is. So basically, we try to support Indie Studios online worldwide and uh, we also have an event online on steam which is the iwocon and uh, people have been supported because they have showed their games online in uh, especially during the pandemic Mm -hmm. that there was a lot of issues with the uh uh, on-site events so we decided to make this so now there is a an audience following following the studios, following the games, and they are having more wish lists. So basically nice. we we had a a group of people who support indie studios but we are authentic. It means that we are not fake supporters. There are lots of fake supporters yeah. online, they only want followers, they don't even retweet I yeah. don't even retweet the work of anyone. But we do. We do we also have a Discord group. We have a social media, YouTube channels, and everyone is invited to join. Everyone is invited to ask for support and we are open to any request. So that's basically the support from in the world older. And the second one is the magazine. Well, I decided to make the magazine because when I was a kid I used to to hmm. to read the the mexican version of nintendo powers yeah yeah so we found uh, lots of tricks on the magazine in order to play video games for example in the contra game the shooter game in which you had to try the konami code for having the 30 lives so
0: all right yeah
1: There were lots of tricks and uh, hidden maps for zelda and everything else so i had this idea of making a kind of interactive magazine because now with the online applications you can Mm -hmm. easily click on a link and this takes you to the source of the game this takes you to the studios press kit etc so my magazine is a simple way to Show support and at the same time help the studios to have better marketing. Mm-hmm. And you can see the animated GIFs rather than having static images. So it looks a little bit better than the traditional magazines because in the traditional magazines you only have a static image. But in my That's magazine, right. I, I try to have some kind of short animation. And at the same time, people—if people decide to try the demo or the full game release—they can click on, on the name of the game, and they—and it will take you to, to, to
0: get either, right to the game's to, page. To either,
1: uh, to either purchase the game, or to try the the demo at least. So that's basically the nice. main purpose of Side Scroller Magazine.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And where where can you find Side Scroller Magazine? Is there a a, a website home or a, a a page you can go to?
1: Uh, no i'm trying to structure a website because mm-hmm. uh, i think that now it has a better audience so it would be mm-hmm. uh, good to have a website from which people can have a reference especially when right. they have to check out everything but so far it is just on my twitter every thursday morning and also on the coffee website people can also find it for free that's the most uh, important it is for free you don't have to pay anything right. in order to see all of the games that i that i feature
0: nice okay so the best place if people want to check it out right now is probably check out your twitter uh-huh. um have a have a have a search for side scroller magazine okay very cool and um on, on Indie World Order, how did it kind of come about? I know there's a large Discord community. It's it's kind of a hashtag on, on Twitter and lots of lots of creators there. How did that kind of become?
1: Yeah, well, Indie World Order has a I main website that has social media. And there are uh, some people behind the group also. So people can have access to this by just going on Twitter, clicking on the Discord link, or they can also find uh, the information online. So they can, uh, uh, if you go on Twitter, you will find the, the main website. And there are lots of uh, channels in which you can uh, have a conversation with developers, designers, right. uh, there are even publishers. So that's a good uh, nice. a network of people because we try to have a variety of of content creators also. So there are other groups which have learned from what we did and now they have made their own groups as well. So Mm. that's interesting because it becomes more organic. So we we try to also inspire others to do uh, what they want, what they enjoy. And if they have their own groups, that's okay. But the most important is that they still support the studios.
0: Right. The idea is everyone everyone helps each other a bit there, both either with feedback or with a little bit of uh, cross-promotion, if, if you know what I mean, that's using it. each other's networks. That's,
1: that's it. Yeah. And as I said at the beginning, we are open to any requests. So you can send us an email a private message on either discord or twitter and we will be happy to help
0: nice okay great well let's let's dive into the usual agenda then um okay. and uh, talk a little more about your studio specifically and and what drew yourself uh role into becoming an indie game indie game developer
1: thank you when i was 10 years old around 1990 i used to play a lot of nes games mm-hmm. in uh, then I thought, how could I make a game? Because I loved drawing with my brother, and we used to to draw lots of cartoons, especially after watching G.I. Joe on the <laughs> TV. So it, and, and and we we thought, how could we make a video game? By that time, we didn't have access to computers, internet, cell phones, YouTube whatever the kids can have now. So we only tried everything on paper. And then in 2018, I watched on Netflix a TV show called Bandersnatch in which a kid was trying to make uh, his own games. And in the video, he was making this in the in the assembler code, the old one that really? we studied in school. So, And I said, hey, I can do that. So he was making games. And he inspired me to, to start uh, making the second part of my idea that I had when I was 10 years old. So then I went online. I looked for some game engines. I downloaded the Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm but it didn't work in my computer. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to install the Unity instead. It worked yep. perfectly. And then I looked for tutorials on YouTube, forums, etc. So after uh, one year, I think, practicing and looking at people's work on social media, I learned a little bit of of the Unity game design, yep. I am still learning, but that's basically the the inspiration. But everything started when I was 10 years old, and 30 years later, I had access to, to the software, yeah. to, to the books, to the information online. So now it's even easier for everyone to start trying making their yeah. own games because you can see lots of resources online for free. Yeah. There are also some courses in which you have to pay, but it is, it is worthy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's amazing if you're, if you're looking to get into game development and you have the desire, there's really no shortage of tools, education. There's just so much out there to start. It's almost hard. The trick is picking something.
1: Uh, that's, that's what I was going to say, that there are. I there is a lot of noise. So you need to check out information, decide what you need to do, because you may also get confused. Yeah, there is a guy on Twitter that I I follow, who is a video game designer and video game developer, he's called Matt Hackett. And he made a, a book So in his book, he explains how to make games. And uh, something interesting from Matt is that he explains how to begin, especially when you don't know anything. So Mm -hmm. I would really recommend his game, which is, it is called How to Make a Video Game All by Yourself. So you can find Matt on online. And I have learned from him a lot because... He shows you the path when uh, you are uh, yeah online, and you find lots of information. <laughs> so you, so he he gives some tips in order to avoid the confusion, so you don't yeah. get lost, you don't get frustrated. And the most important is that you, when you're choosing the right path, start making the game. So yeah, that's uh, something really something that I really appreciate that there are some uh, people who have the expertise and they can tell you where to go.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I've been a developer by trade I went to university for back in the, in the nineties. And uh, so uh, I'm a professional programmer by trade, but I've always been into games. Games is kind of what got me into it. And some of my kids have been dabbling and I do find finding the right thing to get them started is still surprisingly hard. Like something that just simplifies it, says do this, then do this. Nice, simple. So yeah, okay, I'll I'll give that a look for sure. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, How to make a video game all by yourself. That was the title.
1: That is the title. You can find uh, Matt Hackett online on Twitter. And uh, the book has a clear explanation of Hmm. everything that you need and it also has some um, interesting cartoons <laughs> which, which look like memes. So yeah. you will have a a great time reading his book. And this will inspire even more people to start making the games because uh, sometimes people ask me, how, how do I start making a game? Because Unity is so hard and Unreal Engine mm-hmm. is so hard. But he provides lots of tips in order to... To begin and of course making games is challenging but if you want to make something if you want to start trying your own games and let people know that you have made something cool so you have to just begin yep
0: good advice same same advice that writers get you know that's right so, you want to make that's... games make one
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh so if you want to be the best soccer player go on the go field play soccer. And, and kick the ball so that's the way how professionals started
0: that's right that's right and we won't bring up soccer too much because Canada El Salvador have a little bit of a CONCACAF rivalry for sure there
1: <laughs> <laughs> but Canada is more powerful <laughs> uh,
0: recently yes not historically less so <laughs> uh anyway um Let's see. Let's go to the next question, Raul. um Okay. And uh, why don't we talk about then, so your journey into games there was, uh, you know, kind of kind of started quite late, really. You know, had the desire young and then found the tools late in life and got at it. So once you started, what was the first game you made um, or an early memorable game that, that you
1: made? That... I was working on a variety of prototypes. Mm-hmm and then uh, we had the pandemic so i lost communication with uh, many people so i decided to i decided to make the first game so it was called mouse and cheese tactics it is a kind of (laughs) retro arcade game it is quite simple Mm -hmm. Uh, you only need to collect the cheese you need to avoid the different obstacles it has 10 stages only it will take around 10 minutes to beat the whole game
0: i i disagree with that i i played it
1: <laughs> well <laughs> i think 10 minutes because i made the game so i know i know the tricks yeah. but there are there are some people who have played this for more than 10 minutes and i had the opportunity to see a, a speed runner on this oh part. yeah Showing me his videos about beating the game in a few minutes only, so he beat the whole game in uh, around five minutes. So That's it was impressive. interesting, and in uh, after that, I decided I decided to investigate more about the speed runners because mm-hmm. they play they played the games in a different way than yeah. expected.
0: Yeah, yeah, they they often like they exploit things as the designer uh-huh. you weren't thinking about uh-huh. you know, anything they can to go fast through it
1: huh. and I had a conversation with this guy who explained a lot uh, about what he tried even before the stages appeared on screen so he were pre- he was He's pressing already buttons. moving so he was pressing buttons and he discovered some some small box <laughs> that I was not aware of <laughs> but it only happens if you press a specific button, before the screen uh, wow. shows, and um, interesting because they try to discover everything that you don't even imagine in your game.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've only watched a little bit of speedrunning, but it's it's impressive how far things <laughs> get pushed, eh? and the, the the amount of energy invested into like something pretty small, like a single screen game, or a, and they'll 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 yeah really really. There, there is a.
1: Uh, there is a curiosity about hmm. the game, mouse and cheese hmm. tactics. I use I use the character for the magazine, the hmm. the side scroller magazine. So if you see any issue of the magazine, you will see that at the bottom of the magazine there is the mouse. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, basically, I say when people ask me about the magazine, I say that. The mouse is making the magazine. I just published the magazine you online.
0: Just, you just published it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, and for, for anyone listening, it's uh, it's it's a fun little game. Uh, I, I, to, to my point, it took me about 15 minutes to get to level six, and then I, I, I decided I had to. <laughs> it was getting challenging at that point, to say the least. Um, it's up on itch. Um, yeah, so, okay, Beyond Mouse and Cheese then your next game that you'd say you're really proud of like one of the a, a game that you you you're, you're happy with when it was done you're like this is this is a game i'm proud of
1: the second uh, the second game is dr brown okay this is a game that i made uh, because i got a a new follower on twitter so every single time that i am followed by someone i go and investigate what they do so if they add into games, no matter what you do, but if you are doing something relevant, I follow the these people back. So he made a game uh, called Nuclear Throne. So mm. I I check out the game on YouTube, and it was really interesting. So
0: it's quite a popular game, as I recall. It, it
1: is a it is a popular. So yeah. Uh, so this guy made the game a long time ago. It was one of the first indie games mm-hmm. when the indie games were not so common. Yep. And uh, now it is a kind of legend. That game is a kind of legend now, the the Nuclear Throne. So I noticed that it had lots of explosions. You had to go through the arena, through the stage. Uh, you could even... Uh, It combined different elements in order to become more powerful, etc. So I got inspired by that. And then I opened my Pixelad application and I started making some characters. And I was listening to this music from the mask theme in the 80s. So do you remember that TV show in which there was this... A team uh, wearing some helmets, some masks, and uh, they had to defeat the enemies. It was really uh, a really cool TV show in the eighties. So yeah. I got inspired by them. So every single time that I, I was making the game, I was listening to the to the mask theme on YouTube. And uh, I work as a teacher, so after my lessons, I uh, asked a few students who love gaming, hey. Is it possible for you to try this game and they were happy trying the game they were engaged so i thought that it would be also interesting for other people mm-hmm. so after i made the game in which i learned a lot especially uh, in unity developing the the different effects so it got a good attention online and uh, I can check out here quickly on each the amount of downloads. I think it is closer to, to 200 downloads. Let me check it out. Oh, nice. So Dr. Brown has got 176 downloads. Hmm. Uh, and there are still people looking at the game online, downloading the game. So yeah. I I will say that in the future, I will make another second part. Yeah. The name it is interesting because there is a a friend of mine who is called Ancalavero on Twitter. He is from Canada also. Mm-hmm. And um, he he makes games, but in his real life he is a doctor. So he's he's that's his real name, Dr. Oh, yeah. Brown. So mm-hmm. I I I named the game because of him. Asking for his permission as well. And uh, I say that the, well, if you see the game on, on Discord, sorry, on, on itch, it says Dr. Brown, the doctor you can trust because <laughs> because uh, this guy is a, a decent person, someone that you can trust. He's also a founder of Indie World Order. So we oh, yeah, have so. A, an excellent friendship.
0: Excellent. We'll have to check that one out next then. I was having a quick look at it there this morning okay looks looks frenetic
1: <laughs> it, I would say that uh, it also becomes you become addictive mm. so if you try the game for a few minutes uh, some people have said that there is some addiction to the game
0: <laughs> what's well, good that's what you're shooting for you're shooting for a, a healthy amount of addiction
1: ah <laughs> uh, it is a well but it is just a a game for everyone, so this can be mm-hmm. uh, played by by kids, also by older people, that's okay. It doesn't have any blood, it doesn't have any mm-hmm. disgusting scene. Sometimes in these shooter games, you see disgusting yeah. scenes, but it doesn't have any type of that content. Yeah. Because I come from the 80s, and in the 80s, even the, the violent games had only the animated violence, which was for the arcade and that's
0: it yeah yeah you can only do so much on the in the 8-bit area anyway you <laughs> can only push pixels so far um for for that game you, you mentioned you know you, you're proud of it and you you enjoyed how much you learned um what were some of the things you learned making that game
1: uh first the pixels. i practice more i follow some people on Instagram and Twitter who are master pixel artists. And I have been watching also some uh, tutorials on YouTube, reading some books. And after practicing some pixel art, I I got some good comments uh, online from people who are professional in this area, uh, talking about the pixel art. So, I was nice. impressed because when you get a compliment from someone who who knows exactly what to do, so you think that you have improved. So that was the very first thing, the pixel. The second thing is that Unity is a kind of mystery. So every single time that you go into the Unity commands and everything else, you find uh, lots of new features. So every single time that Unity releases a new software so you discovered uh, something new that you could try in your game. So it's something that I tried to, to have in the game that was the timer. So you have to beat a stage in 60 seconds only.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it was fun because you need to beat the game in less than 60 seconds, and at the same time, you have to beat all of the enemies and reach the door in order to to rescue the colleagues. So when coding the Canva and coding uh, the doors, because doors are a kind of struggle in the video game scene, uh, helped me to optimize my algorithm, because I when I started, designing the games I get some paper or my whiteboard I'll show you here a whiteboard of a game that I am prototyping, designing so first I get my whiteboard with <laughs> I my love it. paper and I say I will try to, to communicate this to the gamers but how yeah. do I do that and then how do I code it because coding yeah. something could uh, be in a few lines or in yep. a, lots of lines. So I would say that when making Dr. Brown, after making the, the flow chart, the algorithm, I optimized the commands, the amount of commands uh, mm-hmm. running in the game. So nice. from, from Mouse and Cheese Tactics, which was my first game, I think this second one, Help me to optimize the amount of code mm-hmm. and uh, make also better pixel art.
0: Nice, oh, that's great. Um, you're gonna need to take a picture of that whiteboard and and send <laughs> it to me because I'm definitely including that in the show. That's, that was amazing.
1: But this one is for another game that it is going to be called Analog Cowboy. Okay, all right. <laughs> but I but I send you the picture. Okay,
0: because that. That, that that was some of the best concept art I've seen. Loved it. Um, so t- tell me a bit. Uh, let's let's move on to the next one then. So in that learning some of the tools, you know, the, the the your growing skill at pixel art. Tell me a little bit about your tool chain and and what you're using to make these games.
1: It's really interesting that sometimes when you release a game, people think that you are the, using lots of expensive tools, but it is not true. There is a guy on on the gaming industry called Kenny he is very famous, mm-hmm. Kenny mm-hmm. Assets. So this guy yep. uh, said that if, when he makes pixel art, he uses the Microsoft Paint. And yep. uh, it is interesting because when you see that professional artists uh, also use the tools that come with the, with the software in the computer, it tells you that the most important is not exactly the tool, yeah. but the way that you uh, use it for for your games. Yeah. So basically I use, uh, for Pixelad, I use an application called Piskel. Uh, this Piskel is online. It is for free. You don't have to pay anything. I have this in my computer. And I have been trying this for, for a few years now And, of course, there are other applications. There is one called Mm -hmm. A-Sprite.
0: That's a classic, yeah.
1: A lot of applications that you can check out online. But I love this one because it is quite simple. Mm -hmm. In my life, it's basically quite simple. So I just try to use the software that I understand, that has the features that I need, and that's it. Because, yeah. uh, for example, in A-Sprite that I don't use, I can see videos online and you have thousands of features, which are yeah. amazing, of course. However, yeah. I enjoyed this one because it has the the tools that I need for producing some, some assets. Yeah. And the second one is Unity. So as I explained mm. when I was trying to begin the game development journey, I couldn't run Unreal in my laptop, so I decided to install Unity. It was a a kind of pain at the beginning because Unity is a pretty stable and powerful software, but at the beginning, you need to see how it works, and in order to see how it works, you need to investigate, you need to do research. If not, you are going to get frustrated. So it took me around six months to discover the basic features of Unity, and after a while, learning from mistakes, asking questions to to developers who have more experience than me, I realized that I could do that. So so now when making a prototype, I I can make it in one week. Mm. In, it, it would take me two months, a few years ago. So yeah. now it is easy. But uh, the most important here is that you need to be familiar with something. So for people who make games in Unreal, that's okay. So they are familiar with that. People making games in 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 another type of software that's okay but the most important for me is something that you are familiar with and something simple easy to understand for your work so those are my main tools fiscal because i love making my own assets and unity for making and producing the whole game
0: nice now, do you use uh, what do you use for like scripting? Are you writing code in in C Sharp or using a, a scripting tool? How do you go build a game logic?
1: I I use a, a plugin called Playmaker. There is a game called Hollow Knight, which is famous. Hollow Knight yeah, yeah. Was, was made with Playmaker. Really. And this is a, a visual scripting tool. I love this one because you can easily make the flow chart and from the flow chart, you structured the visual script and it works. Nice. So I have been trying this. And there are also people who love uh, trying the uh, the commands instead in the Unity script. But this one is something that I love because you can easily structure a prototype in a few minutes and it works. Nice. So at, at the very end, and this is something that Matt Hackett explains in his video is that at the very end gamers are not going to ask you what tools did you use (laughs) for making the game so they are just going to say your game is fun your game is not fun so it's really important that at the beginning of the game dev journey you choose your tools because this will help you to produce excellent excellent games for any type of audience
0: yeah yeah and i think you know one one thing that i think i've I've learned the lesson myself, maybe a hard, hard way. And you're, you're kind of summing up nicely here is there's a tendency for techies to jump to the new shiny thing. If you, if you stick with a fairly standard tool, that's going to be around a long time, unity, unreal, pick your engine out there. I'm using mono game myself. Um, You get good at it. And then instead of worrying about learning a new tool, you're making games, right? And uh, you can focus on the gameplay and the, um, if if you're jumping around from engine to engine, I mean, maybe you have fun with that. Great, gonna be slower making games though.
1: <laughs> also here, uh, it's really important that when you make a game, you enjoy the journey, uh, because yeah. you learn through yeah. through the whole process, and you become a better developer from your last game and so on. Yeah, there is this guy called. Uh, Romero from the from the Doom game. Id. Yeah, uh, John Romero. Uh-huh. So he said that in his company, in the company that he worked a long time ago, they released a lot of games. Yep. And uh, after releasing all of those games, they made Doom, which was the rock star for them. So they didn't begin with Doom. They be they worked with Past games in order to become better developers for that specific hit. So the same happens with any type of industry, the music, the animation, the movies, and um, also when making a game and you post online, feel proud of yourself because sometimes people are a little bit disappointed when they don't get likes or when they don't get retweets or when they don't get views. That's not important at all. Of course, this will produce some some audience or marketing, but the most important is that you feel proud of your work. And from time to time, you will also have more followers, more wish lists. So I I get lots of messages, especially on Twitter. And people ask me, how do you do to to reach a a better audience? And I tell them, be consistent, being consistent uh, promoting your content will help you to uh, engage more people in in your own work. I have seen lots of developers who start with an excellent prototype. They post during one month during Screenshot Saturday, and after a while they don't do anything. And two years later they continue their journey. So. It doesn't work as expected if you are trying to create an audience. So, yeah. if you are a content creator producing videos on YouTube, making games or whatever type of content that you make, try to to be consistent, posting yeah. at least once a week, and you will see how your audience and your content improve. Hmm.
0: That's good advice for sure. You know the the general the general arc of that advice too is be consistent in your marketing as well as your development, Thanks. build games, release games, build a library. You know, and be marketing consistently. And and it, it for it for indies out there with with so much out there, takes time. It
1: takes time. It takes, it time, takes, time. It? It takes yeah. time. Now we have lots of games released online, so uh, we need to be patient, especially for those who would like to to make some yeah. money in the gaming industry.
0: Yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, uh, I found that that was great. Um, let's uh, let's talk about your current game project, uh, Raw. What are you working on right now?
1: My new game is is uh, well, it is still a prototype because I am uh, working on the on the gameplay mechanics, mm-hmm. working on the the stages at the moment. You're it's still whiteboarding board it. I have a (laughs) well. I have my iPod here, and I have I have a picture of the of the gusanito yo, which is my actual prototype that I will also send you, because this small whiteboard is something that I love. Whenever when an when an idea comes to my mind,
0: Mm
1: I get a marker and I draw, sketch my ideas. So when I go back to that idea, I have a clear concept of what to do. So basically Gusanito yo is a, is a prototype that I started uh, a few months ago. I think last year I started making this. And uh, in Spanish, the worms are, are called gusanos. So I decided to call this "gusanito," so it would be little worm, and Joe, mm-hmm. uh, a name that I remember reading in the old cartoons. Yeah. So Joe is a kind of common name in the movies or cartoons. Yeah, kind of and like a classic, a, a classic, classic that's, American that's Canadian
0: it? name. Uh, probably British somewhere in there too.
1: That's it, yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, this is a kind of elegant and cool worm because you can see that he is wearing a, a bow tie. <laughs> he is also wearing the glasses and he is also having a kind of punk hair. So he is a an elegant and cool uh, worm. He cannot jump. Uh, I have showed this to my students when trying the prototype and some of them say hey but this uh, worm doesn't jump and I show them hey most of the worms don't jump so, so they say,
0: show me a worm that does jump <laughs> uh
1: uh-huh. so that's why you cannot jump you cannot jump in the game unless you go on the bouncing bolts so you can gotcha. jump by using a different medium but the worm by itself cannot easily jump so that's uh something that I love because in the game you only use the the arrows yep. for moving across the screen. Or you can also try the the gaming controller. Here I have the Xbox gaming controller. So you mm-hmm. can try the, the joysticks only. Yeah. But you are not going to press any button.
0: So the, the idea then, just listening to it, and I've, I've seen a few clips on uh, Twitter there, it reminds me of kind of some of the old Donkey Kong levels and, and those old single screen where they've thrown in just the most random enemies and suitcases and, you know, you got to navigate this. Uh, so, but that, that the idea is it almost turns into a puzzle platformer if you can't jump and have to use these, these um, what do you call them, sort of bouncy balls, you said, or like... Is that kind of the idea where it's a mix of action and almost puzzle?
1: So that's the main concept, to to make a game in which you have to think a little bit. It is not hard, but it will make the gamers to think where to go, what to try. Uh, There are some pipes, for example, in which you can go in and out. So they are a kind of teleport station. There are some bouncing balls which can help you to reach uh, places on top. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are uh, also some. Uh, uh, let's see what else. There are some containers which can help mm. you to to collect the the water. So there is some a uh, water also falling in the screen that you can collect in order to to go through the scene. Mm. And, uh, but basically in the game, you need to think a little bit before trying anything yeah. else. So you don't shoot, you don't jump, you are just <laughs> elegant and cool.
0: A <laughs> good <Elegant>, cool worm.
1: <laughs> and I am using the NES color palette for this game. Nice. Because in the retro arcade games, you can see these amazing colors right. that I still so- enjoy.
0: So, building on your last game, where you've been improving on pixel art, you've moved the color ah, now. And... Also,
1: also, mm-hmm. every single time that I try making a game, I try to challenge myself. So, in mm-hmm. the past two games, I tried the one-bit pixel art approach, yep. which is really simple. They come by sixteen by sixteen only, but in this one, I decided to make a, a kind of retro arcade with the NES colors. Mm-hmm. And with the thirty-two by thirty-two canvas, which means that you have more space, so you need more details for yep. your work. Yeah. And I have been enjoying the journey because now I think that I have better skills at yep. pixel art. And also, I am a teacher. I teach and I teach design in my school. So every single time that that I learn something new, I teach hmm. these skills to my students. So my students get better at animation they get better at, at making their own games we use uh, some other basic tools so if i learn better of course my students learn better
0: very cool All Right. well I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one we'll uh we'll put some uh links in the show notes for where our listeners can follow it i'm assuming twitter is probably the best place for them to go and absolutely. get updates yeah okay
1: absolutely
0: Great, when, when, when do you think that's gonna be done? Notice I say think, because it's an indie game, so.
1: Uh, <laughs> at the moment, I have, uh, I will say that based on my game design document, mm-hmm. I have made all of the assets that I needed for this prototype, so I am nice. making the stages now. Oh yeah. So I think that in one month, in one mm-hmm. month, I may have basically the full game done, which I need some people uh, to play testing. So I, I am inviting you now to be a official <laughs> play tester. All
0: right, that's why I do this podcast, is I if just you get, would like I to, get play tests.
1: If you would like to try it out, so <laughs> your, right, name, your name goes in the credits. <laughs> and once people provide feedback, I work on those details, it will take me like another month or less and then I release Mm -hmm. the game. So hopefully the game could be done by summer this year.
0: Oh, good. Well, excellent. Well, good luck with that. Looking forward to it. Um, let's, Let's get to the top five here. So we'll, we'll switch switch now from uh, kind of about uh, your games and, and your journey here into the games that influenced you. So we'll start at number five and count them down. Are you ready? Ready to go. All right, let's do number five. Published on the Famicom in Japan in October 1988. I think this might be the second time, maybe even the third already on this show it's been listed. It's definitely a classic. It was uh, published on the Nintendo Entertainment System in February '90 by Nintendo. The often cited classic and many, many top lists. Super Mario Brothers Three. all tell us about this one.
1: Well, this I will say is one of the best games ever. I after my work, I come here to my TV and I watch videos about games that i played when i was a kid and uh, mario 3 is one of the best games because of the level design Mm. the variety of gameplay mechanics also the amount of characters yeah that you can see in the game the music is quite powerful Uh, also there are some hidden features for example the magical flute that you can find for yep. teleporting from world from one world to another so this game is a kind of treasure for for the whole uh, gaming and game development as well because i will say that all of the people who are making retro games now have uh, the Super Mario Brothers as a reference, and especially yep. the Super Mario Bros. 3, which is a game that I really admired. I I am also impressed by how these people made a powerful game in... Uh, in a small file size, because now if yeah. you make a game, it would take some megas, yeah. even even some gigabytes. But now in the past engineers had to, to put the whole game in one single cartridge. And there were lots of limitations in the hardware. So I am really impressed at how the engineers made everything in a ship.
0: Yeah, it was so so different. Then we had a, a guest on, a couple guests actually that do some NES homebrew, and and uh, I found that conversation really interesting because one of the things I'd asked about was the game engine, and they're like, no, you, you're <laughs> you're optimizing right from the start. So sure, you get reuse of tricks and techniques, but you don't build a game engine and then the game like nowadays we always have a game engine. You build the game and you use every trick shortcut you can to fit it in and make it work, you know, and it's a very different process different
1: challenges, different uh, constraints I was listening to that podcast hmm. and uh, of course he explains a lot when making uh, games in the past and now he's making his own games and uh, so basically Mario 3 was uh, is still yeah, I kind of treasured because we still learn from the game design and from the yeah. game development in this game.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it was interesting if you if you look at a little bit of the history of that one. One was you can see the effect of it. The the designer there or producer I can't remember his exact role Miyamoto there. He was really kind of encouraging the whole team building it to just throw lots in. Try because you know think of what they're trying to do. They're like this is the third now big expectations so i think that it 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 worked out it it didn't become overwhelming for most players it just so many new game mechanics and then you know you look at um i think i was reading something it's it's often touted as one of the 10 most important games in history because of its influence overworld maps um all the game mechanics and there's any of us building a platform it's hard not to go back to that one and say well actually that was kind of done there That is amazing, isn't it?
1: And also another interesting detail here is that in the past, developers couldn't update the game Mm. so so easy. So now if you find some bugs, you update the new build online so people can download the, the game without those bugs. But in the past, how? So they had to put everything in the cartridge, working properly yep. but they didn't have the opportunity to to update the content online so you can see also from from these developers how responsible
0: yeah. they
1: were for the for the quality of the content.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, and that—that's also why in some of those old games you find some funny bugs because
1: uh-huh. <laughs> you don't know, uh-huh. get updated. <laughs> and you can see some YouTubers who have found uh, bugs mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of some games, yeah. which are which are not common, but sometimes they have found the, yeah. the bugs. And uh, it is interesting that in the eighties or the nineties uh, there were still bugs, and this is something that we need to learn from. All of the games may have bugs, but we need to uh, try to avoid uh, those bugs running in the system. Sometimes it happens, you are not going to notice. Sometimes you are going to have feedback or you are going to see a gameplay from someone. So you have the opportunity to improve your coding skills, your uh, algorithm design, etc. So now with the tools it's really easy to go online and update the the builds.
0: Yeah, there's less excuse for for bad bugs, isn't there?
1: <laughs> so we should improve. We should try to improve <laughs> yeah. our uh, our quality.
0: Agreed. It's a noble goal. All right, let's let's go to number 4 and your number 4 pick originally planned as a sequel to street fighter actually but uh with the the uh what do you call it the beat-em-up craze that that came on in the late 80s there it moved from a fighting game to a beat-em-up game i think it was after the success of double dragon it was the highest grossing arcade game of 1990 in japan and i think the highest conversion of con in in north america the us Uh, it was then converted to super nes and other consoles developed and published by Capcom. The side-scrolling up Final Fight. Raul, tell us about this one.
1: I remember myself in the arcade games waiting for my opportunity to play this one because hmm. at that time you had to wait, especially if you were a kid. So older people were trying the game. And... Uh, I remember playing this with my brother, also in the Super Nintendo. And uh, it's really interesting because in the game you try different tools, different weapons. So it is a kind of a brutal display of power. <laughs> so you, you just go and take whatever you have ready for beating the enemies, and I love uh, a weapon that you find in the in the second level, which is the this pipe, this big pipe <laughs> <laughs> that you can use for beating everyone. And uh, also, I love the the characters, and also how you could easily start from the main screen to the gameplay now in the, in the games that we can play these days sometimes you have a story of 30 minutes about yep. about what happened before before you start playing and it is annoying if you cannot skip the the story <laughs> uh, so we also need to as video game developers we also need to to have a button that you can press to skip the story because some people are not going to be interested in that. Some people are going to be interested, of course. But in the old school arcade games, you were looking at, for a few seconds, the main screen, noticing what happened, and then you had to go on a mission. So I remember that in Final Fight, uh, the main guy called Haggard receives a, a phone call and uh, they have to rescue the the girl so after that after looking at those scenes you were ready to to fight everyone and that was that was all easy and simple yeah also in the game it's really funny that you can recover your health by picking up some burgers by picking <laughs> up some apples it doesn't happen in real life <laughs>
0: Hmm. not that easily no.
1: <laughs> it doesn't happen in real life so when you have a, an annoying day when you have a, a disappointing day when you have something really difficult in your life you cannot go and take an apple and now you feel better no, but it happens in video games <laughs> so that's why I find it uh, really funny uh, what else do I find interesting uh, the level design, of course, because uh, you can see that you go through the map and you can uh, go into the train, you can go on street, you can go into uh, other areas, uh, basically as a cities structured in the United States or North America. Mm-hmm. So if you live in North America I would say that you feel familiar with that. In my case I am in Latin America. So the only thing that I don't feel familiar with is the train that I think that you call them sub in in the North subway. America. huh. The yeah. subway. So we don't have them uh, we don't have those in in our country. So I found, I found it interesting when I was a kid because I, I didn't know that it was a kind of transportation system in, 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 in bigger countries. And it, and it happens, and it has happened since a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So basically, the, the level design is something that I enjoy, not just in this game, but in lots of games. Because when you have a variety of, yeah. of, of scenes, a variety of stages, a variety of features, a variety of maps the game feels better. It's like looking at a garden when you see a variety of flowers, a variety of insects, a variety of things that you see in nature. That feels really great. So that's something yeah. that I admire, I admire from Final Fight.
0: Yeah, I agree. The, the, the beat-up genre is interesting because skill allows you to go faster, quicker through the game and in the old arcade days with less quarters. Um, but most modern console ports in that, I mean, you, you can just kind of keep going. So it's the variety, even if you're not good at it, you grind through it, but that variety kind of keeps you playing because you're like, what am I going to see next? Where are we going to be? What's the what's the weird enemy? What's the and that, that the variety in that that really matters to keep you engaged? Yeah.
1: And also, before we continue, that I want to uh describe here is that the main character Hagar is also an authority in the city he is the mayor <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> so he is uh, well at the same time he is the justice for everyone in society that's right i love it i love exactly that uh, that profile
0: <laughs> great all right, well, great pick. Let's go on to the next one. Um, quite a different genre here. Um, also, a lot, a lot of your games are often cited on the top, top of their genres or top of all time. So another, another interesting pick for sure. Released in September 1998 for the PlayStation as well as Windows. I believe you you picked the PlayStation version. It was developed and published by Konami, directed by Hideo Kojima of recent Death Stranding fame. Broke out on his own studio there. Um, this game is often cited as one of the most important video games of all time. And it certainly made stealth games popular. It's the stealth game Metal Gear Solid. Rawl. why is this number three on your list?
1: I will say that I have learned a lot from history in here than in my school. Mm. <laughs> Especially the, the Cold War. So when uh, reading information about Hideo Kojima when making the game or watching documentaries, he always he always says that he was trying to to be accurate to the historical events, the military weapons, the strategies used. Uh, during the cold war etc so that's why i really enjoyed the game because when you see for example the weapons they are they are exactly the weapons that they used in the past mm. and and of course there are some sci-fi weapons but most of them are exactly the weapons that soldiers used during the cold war also something that, that I, I love from this game especially the PlayStation 1 is that uh, there are some creative and unique gameplay mechanics. For example, you can hide into the mm. box and the soldiers cannot see you dead unless unless you move. They are going to detect that the box is moving. They will try touching the box and they can uh, discover you in death. Uh, other thing that I love is the the enemies, especially the these big robots that we call uh, the mechs or mechas so the japanese culture uh, has a lot of this in in the cartoons from the past i remember a cartoon that i used to watch when i was a kid called iron man 28 and iron man 28 or messenger so they were uh, cartoons in which you have these big robots and uh, when playing again the against the the metal gear in the game it was really amazing so when I defeated for the very first time the, the the Metal Gear machine, I was in shock. So I said, mm-hmm. I said, this has been better than defeating Bowser in Super Mario Bros. 3, because uh, Bowser is a, a difficult and challenging uh, character, but the Metal Gear machine was quite difficult. And also I enjoyed the story throughout the game it has a lot of cinematics mm-hmm. so if you connect with the game you are going to be a fan of of this uh, Metal Gear series I tried this when, when I was uh, playing the NES a long time ago but I didn't understand the game because we used to play Contra we used to play Commando we used to play all of those games in which you only have you only had to shoot, yeah. run, destroy, explode, and go on next stage. But in this one, especially in the NES, you had to hide. You had to look for weapons. You had to be a kind of detective. So I didn't understand that when I was a kid. So when I got my first PlayStation, I bought the game in. I was impressed. Yeah. So that's why I have enjoyed this game. I have played the game uh, basically from the NES. However, I didn't understand the game at that moment. I understood the game in the PlayStation. So I have played all of the games from PlayStation 1 up to the last one, which Mm -hmm. was in the PlayStation 4. Yeah. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain. And yep. I'm happy with that game. So Hideo Kojima made a, an excellent work, which has inspired a lot of people to, to produce more games like that.
0: Yeah, with stealth elements, for sure. Definitely was uh, fairly
1: groundbreaking there.
0: All right, excellent pick. Let's go on to number two. Developed and published by Capcom an action platformer, also often named one of the greatest games of all times. It was released in December 1988 for the NES Mega Man 2. All right. Tell us how this game influenced you.
1: Every single time that I listen to the words Mega Man 2, the music comes to my mind. (laughs) So those ship tunes are amazing. Yeah. And uh, here we used to have uh, pictures of, of Mega Man,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Dr. Wiley, Dr. Light. And <laughs> uh, with my brother, we used to have that in, in our rooms. So we put all of those pictures on the room. Yeah. Uh, and... I remember the music, the shiptons. I remember, uh, again, the the variety of level design, how easy it was to understand and play the game. You had mm-hmm. to jump, you had to walk, run, climb, shoot. Uh, also, you could equip other uh, weapons or specific features. You could also use some mechanical dogs and that was basically the the structure of the game so you had to to pick from uh, some enemies at the beginning yep. go on that stage uh, defeat the enemy take that weapon use that weapon uh, for the following enemy and so on until you until you reach the the Dr. Wily's castle and yep. go through all of the stages again which were more difficult and that was basic yes, the game.
0: Th- that's the one you pick one of eight bosses and you can pick them in any order there's an order you should do them but it's when you when you win it you actually have to win it again right yeah I've never won it that second time that's for sure
1: <laughs> I used to try the hard old games I know what you mean because when I was a yeah. kid I used to I, I beat some enemies but I yeah. discovered that later on so when uh, people play this online, they already know all of the yeah. tricks and what yeah. to do, so they can easily defeat the enemies. But yeah. the very first time that you try the game, you don't, you don't know. And especially in our days, we didn't have yeah. access to YouTube, we didn't have access to to, magas- yeah. uh, to to other information that people can check out now. So it was it was harder for us also to the, to figure it out.
0: Yeah, you had to ask your friends magazines. If your friends knew.
1: If your friends knew, of yeah, course.
0: Yeah, it was tricky.
1: But now you can easily go on Google, type yeah. Mega Man tricks, Mega cheats, yeah. Mega Man gameplay, Mega Man whatever oh, yeah. you want it to be called and then you will find lots of information.
0: Yeah. It's interesting and just in researching the game a bit for the intro, I um didn't realize is the first mega man actually wasn't successful enough um that it was going to get a sequel and it it was kind of skunk works internally at nintendo in the in the studio where some people were working on improving the graphics and they only and they kind of had to go over chain of command to get approval to do it and they only got approval if they did it in parallel with another project and then of course the better graphics the better gameplay and they got it, launched and it took off from there into what, what we know today. But it was very close to never having a sequel. I found that interesting. Shows it, you, you got to keep slugging it out.
1: <laughs> I remember uh, reading a, a story about this in which it says that since, as you said, the, the first uh, release was not so successful. The designers and developers wanted to do this and the executives said, okay, you are going to do this, but in a few months only. And they made it. And they made it. So basically, in taking this as an advice for the game development, if you want to make something, you need passion. That's what is going to, to help you to make whatever you want. So, in, in in this case, they made the game in a few months only to release a successful hit. So yep. it takes time, but they made it in less time. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, On to your last game here and your final pick, uh, another game by Konami. I see a, a theme. <laughs> um, Also developed, yes, by by Konami in 1987. It was first in the arcade and then to many consoles in 1988, including the NES, as well as my favorite, the Commodore 64 version. Uh, Contra. All right, tell us why this is number one.
1: Contra. I remember Contra because uh, by that time, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone were our heroes. So, when watching all of those movies and playing these games, you could feel the, the weapons, you could feel the aliens, the enemies. This is a simple game in which you yeah. press start from the intro screen, you press start, and you start playing. You don't have cinematics. You don't have a thirty minutes story. So you just press that and start shooting. Everything, whatever moves, whatever moves. So you don't even need to ask. You just go and shoot whatever comes in front of you. Also, I love that in here they have a, a variety of weapons, so yeah. you can uh, take them in your own advantage. To defeat the the enemies, the bosses. There are lots of stages. There are even some stages in which you can go eh, into the into the the facilities, which have a different perspective. So, in the second stage, you go into into a facility. You go in a perspective, so you see the enemies eh, in front of you. And what else I enjoy the the music, the ship tunes. When I I am working, I am listening to ship tunes all time. Mm -hmm. So the music from Contra is amazing. Level design, weapons, the design of the bosses, because many of them have this, Skull structure, alien structure, or a combination of both.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, by that time it was satanic in our country. It was something from the evil. So I oh, live. Yeah? I live in Latin America. So in the nineties there was a campaign against video games yeah. here because some people said that video games were taking you to the devil's side, and it was just. It's something fun listening to mm-hmm. that, but I enjoyed the design of the characters. And, uh, it is still something that I have in my heart, all of those retro games. Yeah. But Contra is one that I used to play a lot, especially after the school exams. Oh, yeah. I remember the last school exams and after that playing with my friends. And that was it. So the life was easy, simple, and fun.
0: Nice. Nice, good memories for sure. And uh, see, seems from an influence, seems fitting too with all the skulls and the bosses and you got Skull Commando Labs.
1: Uh, of course, that all of these games have had an influence in my own uh, indie studio profile. You can see my logo is a kind of skull, mm-hmm. which is a combination from from darth Vader, <laughs> messenger and the pixel art characters that i notice in in some games
0: nice great was well, a great list brawl definitely played a few on your list actually and uh, i'll also put a few on my list to finish one of these days that list keeps growing unfortunately um, it's been great having you on the show today uh, for our our listeners where can people find uh, find you to learn more about your projects, you know, Side Scroller Magazine and, and Indie World Order and everything you're a part of?
1: Yeah, people can find me basically on Twitter. I I am on Twitter every single day.
0: Skull uh, Commando Labs Skull on Twitter. Commando
1: correct. Labs, that's the that's the the Twitter name. Uh, I am also part of the Indie World Order, so if you add into the Discord server, you can find me there every single day. I try to be there uh, sometime. Nice. Uh, you can also check out my magazine. You will find my email at the very end of the magazine. It's called commandolabsgmail.com. Uh, any content creator video game developer who needs some support, please talk to me and I'll, I'll try to help you. I am always open to, to help anyone as we do in our, in the world order. So just send me a, a message and I'll try to help you.
0: Fantastic. Really enjoyed it today, Raw. It was a f- fantastic meeting you. You have a, a, a great rest of your weekend and, uh, uh, look forward to speaking again.
1: Thank you for your time. I really appreciate that you have taken the time for making the podcast. And uh, this will help a lot of studios to, to have a better audience, to also share their experience, to share their thoughts, to share whatever they have learned. And uh, I really enjoy when people have this kindness as you are doing here, Grant, because when something comes from the heart, it is unique, authentic, and it is not fake, as as I have said. So when people do this with their own passion, people are going to help them, are going to follow them, are going to trust them. But when some accounts don't do this properly, they won't have any engagement and that's not so good because if you want to do something do that because you believe in that and you love that
0: yeah I agree this is definitely a passion project for me and uh, it's been been a pleasure meeting everyone that uh, we've interviewed and that was part of my goals was uh, just meeting a few more people in, in this space and seeing what we could all do together so thank you for that take care
1: thank you and see you soon
0: you bet thanks for listening to today's episode of the indie dev game break podcast where we interview indie game creators on their inspiration technology and the top games that influence them the indie dev game break podcast is hosted by grant karstensen With Straight Voltage Games. Music provided by Village Sound from Nova Scotia, Canada. Art and graphic design by Chad Bootlier.